everybody. Thanks for joining us here on Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, so ReBikes has a long history of doing things a bit differently, beginning with manufacturing all of their own frames out of a range of different materials in Colorado. And so we sat down with Reeb athlete, designer, and sort of jack-of-all-trades Jeff Linoski, and then Reeb's lead fabricator and designer Adam Procise to talk about everything that's going on over at Reeb, including their whole backstory and history of the company, which involves them getting founded in a brewery, the current and upcoming mountain bike range from them, including some stuff about the new SST short travel steel trail bike that they're working on, Adam's crazy bruiser personal super enduro bike, and a whole lot more. It's a really cool conversation with a bunch of good information about how Reeb thinks about bike design and their place in the bike industry. But before we get into it, I do want to take just a quick minute to encourage you to check out our Blister member deals, which include a whole bunch of good stuff, including 15% off We Are One wheels and a whole lot more. So with that, let's get right to my conversation with Jeff and Adam. Well, Adam and Jeff, thanks to both of you for coming on. How are you today and where are you today? I'm Adam Procise. I'm uh, just getting off work. I was welding up a bunch of squeeb frames today, aluminum TIG welding, um, and I am uh, down in my personal shop at home trying to be in a quiet place. Appreciate it. How about you, Jeff? Um, Jeff Lenoski. I am currently in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, we had a Candade bike donation this morning, so we gave away 75 bikes to underprivileged kids in the area. Now I'm camped out at an Airbnb, also trying to find someplace fairly quiet for the podcast. That bike donation sounds pretty awesome. That actually wasn't on my list of questions here, but anything else you want to tell us about that, Jeff? Yeah, so it's a nonprofit organization called Candade, and um, Candade is partially how, or not partially, pretty much how I came in contact with Reeb in the first place. Um, about five years ago or six years ago, I started working with Oscar Blues. And within the first month, Candade was a big part of that conversation because Oscar Blues was a huge supporter of Candade at the time. So I was an Oscar Blues athlete, but it really uh, played to my heart to get involved with providing underprivileged kids with bicycles. So um, was doing quite a bit of work with Candade. And then a couple of years into that relationship was looking for a new bike partner and Reeb was also part of that trifecta as it was started by Oscar Blues years ago. And um, it just all came together to, you know, be involved with all three organizations. And now a few years later, I'm still heavily involved with Candade and obviously Reeb. Awesome. Yeah. So this is kind of what I wanted to get into first here was that the whole story behind Reeb and its affiliation with Oscar Blues and the name and all the rest is a pretty cool story and kind of a fairly different one from most bike company origins, I guess it's fair to say. So do either of you want to take us through that and kind of just, I mean, the name is beer backwards, right? So we got a clue there, but uh, yeah, sort of just tell us about Reeb and how it got started in the first place. I can go ahead and uh, start with that. Um, Jeff can fill in if anything I'm saying is uh, wrong or 
or need any more input to that. But um, neither of us were around when Reeve originally started, but uh, the people that were um, were Chad Mellis and Dale Katechis. Um, they both worked at Oscar Blues and, and Chad was running the PR department at Oscar Blues. Um, well, I guess let's go back a little bit more. So uh, Dale started Oscar Blues with uh, restaurants, actually, not beer. So uh, he was living in Lyons, Colorado, and riding mountain bikes on some of the local trails. And uh, he was looking into starting a restaurant, um, a restaurant, I guess not chain, but he was trying to start a restaurant that had Cajun inspiration since he was from um, the Southeast. And uh, on the way back from riding one day, he, I think, passed by somebody's garage where they were brewing beer and uh, decided that he wanted to stop by and see what they were up to. And, and I think that's how Dale kind of got started with wanting to brew beer. Uh, I was just kind of just, just by chance coming home from a mountain bike ride. And that's kind of the same way how Chad came into Oscar Blues also, he was coming back from a mountain bike ride and, and passed by the um, original barn that housed Oscar Blues, which now is where Reeb Cycles is um, doing all their fabrication out of. So Chad stopped by and, and said, hey, what are you guys doing in here? It looks cool. I want to brew and can some beer. And uh, so all of that kind of transpired into... Uh, everybody rode mountain bikes within the company and, and, um, over time, uh, they rode a bunch of different bikes. I know there was, uh, Maverick was involved for a little bit. Um, Spot was involved for a little bit, but kind of not in any serious manner. That was just kind of the bike that was ridden, um, in the area. So another, um, another employee of Oscar Blues was borrowing one of Dale's bikes and it was reportedly stolen uh, somewhere in Denver at like a brewery conference or something. And uh, at that point in time, I think Oscar Blues was doing pretty well. And, and Dale decided that he could probably pool enough resources to be able to start a bike company based out of Oscar Blues. Um, and I guess the rest is history there. Um, I came on about five years ago, right when the Squeeb was released. That's the Squishy Reeb. It was the first full suspension bike that Reeb offered. And I was really intrigued by it. And I came on and started helping with manufacturing and 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 building the bike and making it production ready. And soon after that is when uh, Jeff came on also. And Jeff, how did you first get connected? And tell us a bit more about what your role is there these days now too. I've been with the brand for about four years now. Um, like I mentioned, I was a candidate ambassador, so I had, you know, similar circles. And then I guess the first time Adam and I actually met um, was on a mountain bike ride. So a lot of mountain biking going on in the organization. Um, we just happened to be riding um, St. Brain, right? Yep. Yep. So uh, I had been following Adam um, on Instagram and stuff like that. He always was doing cool stuff. And then I just happened to bump into him on the trail instantly knew who he was because you know, he's a tall guy like myself and he tends to ride in the sleeveless Rasta colored jersey for his rude boy team. And uh, it turned out probably being one of the most fun rides of my life, honestly. Like it was just awesome riding with all the guys. 
And then flash forward a year later, um, I was looking for an, a new bike sponsor, thinking, you know, coming off of a, a huge bike brand, thinking I needed to do the same. And I actually had a lot more interest than I even expected, but none of it was really feeling great. It just felt kind of, you know, cool to to work with another big bike brand, but still not really uh, giving me the sense of fulfillment or participation in a brand that I was looking for. And somebody mentioned within Candade mentioned uh, talking to the Reeb guys and we're a super small brand. So I wasn't sure if that would actually be possible. Um, and we got on a few calls and next thing you know, four years later, I'm working with the brand and it's awesome. You know, I obviously am an athlete for the brand, but being such a small organization, um, we all collaborate on marketing. Um, Adam allows me to give input on the bikes. Um, you know, I could be coming up with a t-shirt design one day, making a sales call to a customer the next day, trying to open a new bike shop the following day. So we really are all hands on deck. You know, obviously everybody has their specialty. Adam is the, the fabrication specialist. I'm kind of the guy in the field. We have Tim in the office uh, building the bikes. And um, then there's a, you know, a crew behind us, but it's a tight knit organization. We all have a lot of say. It's pretty awesome. No, I, I love the story and just sort of mountain bikes and beer, I guess, are something that go hand in hand a lot of times for a lot of folks. But it's still a rather unusual one to have a beer company go, well, actually, we could just do this th other spinoff thing and start making some bikes, too. And, uh, you know, seems like it's working out pretty well, which is awesome. But Adam, I guess I'd be curious to hear a little bit more about how you first got involved with Reeb too, where your kind of trajectory was there, having heard Jeff's side of the whole story. I lived in the area. I moved out to Colorado from um, Iowa and I had a, a degree in agronomy, which is in the agriculture department, because my um, dad and my oldest brother were both uh, engineers. And growing up, I heard a lot of talk about them being in cubicles and working on computers. And that's not exactly what I was uh, wanting to focus on. I wanted to focus on being outside. So I went into agriculture, which I had zero experience in. Um, I was able to get a lot of great experiences uh, going to Iowa State University. And some of those experiences were hanging out with a lot of bike-minded people. And I rode a lot of bikes and raced bikes through college. Um, and I also started working a lot with Standard Bike Company, uh, building custom BMX bikes, building uh, dirt jumpers, 26-inch dirt jumpers, uh, first 29er single speeds that they ever built, uh, just pretty much bikes that were uh, a little bit bigger and sized for somebody that's 6'4". Um, riding BMX bikes, 20-inch BMX bikes when you're 6'4", is you know, tough. There's, there's a lot of people that do it, but I knew there was a better way. So my first custom bike was a 24 inch, uh, trail bike that was, you know, built to a stand street abuse. So it had pegs. Um, but it was really before the time of, um, 24 inch BMX bikes were still race bikes. They, they didn't really hold up to the abuse. So this one was definitely, built stronger. And this one was built at Waterford uh, when Standard was still having their bikes built at Waterford. And soon after that was when 
all of their production moved to Davenport, Iowa, where I'm from. So that really opened up the ability for me to go to their machine shop and see my custom bikes get built and have a hand in everything. Um, so that's what really kind of drew me on to custom mountain bikes. And my dad being an engineer, um, showed me how to do some work in AutoCAD uh, back in the day, like when I was a kid, but I, I didn't really pick up AutoCAD uh, very much at all, but um, he did teach me how to uh, draft a frame on, on paper full size. Uh, so I did a lot of the first handful of frames I designed with standard, I did them all full size hand drawings to scale, uh, which was really awesome. Um, one thing you learn there is one small mistake in the angle of in your drawing can can really make a drastic change in measurements. Um, because standard was a diehard BMX company, they weren't necessarily taking on mountain bikes and and you know different uh, standards like twenty nine inch wheels and and European bottom brackets and or I guess mountain bike width BM BMX brackets. So. Yeah, there was a lot of learning curves in trying to communicate all these details to somebody that doesn't really know that product. So fast forward to uh, moving to Colorado, uh, that communication gap was getting bigger and bigger. Um, it was hard to communicate with them to, to get what I want. So uh, I started seeing Reeb on, on Instagram, and this was when they were uh, still mainly just building single speed hardtails, uh, some gravel bikes, but nothing, uh, nothing like the squeeb yet. And I started to hear about Reeb more when, um, I wanted to get a, uh, helmet custom painted like a mountain bike helmet. And I knew that some of the, uh, the riders at Reeb had some custom helmets. And then, uh, this was right in the same time frame that uh, Nico Mullally was sponsored by uh, Dale's Pale Ale. So I was like, oh man, this company is cool enough to sponsor a World Cup downhill racer. Like, you know, it wasn't Reed sponsoring it, but it was it was still a, a close-knit relationship with Oscar Blues. And uh, so I, you know, looked into it more and more and somebody said they needed a welder. But um, at this point I had been welding and fabricating uh, for a good amount of years, but I never um, TIG welded a bike frame. So I thought I was pretty far off from ever being able to do that. Um, and then <clears throat> this squeeb was released and I really wanted to ride one. So I just reached out and being a broke kid that moved to Colorado, um, I asked if I could trade some labor in the shop for a frame and they said, yeah. So I started working on Fridays, just running the CNC machine and uh, sweeping the floors. And at that time I, I worked at a medical machine shop. So I had a little bit of experience around machines, but not a ton. Uh, so I really got thrown into it and I loved it. So I quit that medical machine shop and went on full-time at Reed. And now I'm here. I love it. It's kind of, this amazing series of sort of serendipitous stories of just Reeb getting started in the first place and both of you coming on and everything kind of leading up to where you're at at this point. And so one of the things that I find 
coolest and most interesting about Reeb is that it, at least from my perspective, it really feels like you guys are just sort of having the freedom and being just kind of out there to make the bikes that you want to ride and you're not necessarily trying to have the most complete lineup with a bike for every little micro niche that you can imagine or anything like that. And so I'd love to hear you both talk a little bit about just the overall re sort of design philosophy and the process of coming out with new models and stuff, because the lineup has obviously evolved a whole lot over the last bit. You know, you said you started mostly doing uh, single speed hardtails and that is certainly no longer the case. You got a lot more going on. We'll go into the full lineup a little more detail in a little bit here, but um, yeah, just, I guess more curious to hear just about sort of the design process at Reeb and how you go about thinking about potential new models, because there's some interesting variety and stuff that you offer as we'll get into in a few here. Yeah. So um, prior to Reeb, I was riding for giant, you know, the largest bike manufacturer in the world. And then the, the move to Reeb, which is arguably one of the smallest, was a, uh, you know, a, a pretty big change, but it was awesome to be able to collaborate with them so much on, you know, bike, des- just simple things, bike designs, bike colors, things like that. And uh, I first saw the product probably a year prior when Adam first started working with them and just the changes that he made in the Squeeb to take it from version one to version two you could just see the trajectory and the quality and, and everything. It was, it was already an awesome bike. Now we're two versions later and the bikes just keep getting better and better. But, uh, we basically just build bikes that we want to ride. You know, the Squeeb was basically started as an aluminum trail bike. Adam came on board, made it into something that he wanted to ride, which is, you know, just right in line with, a lot of the current trends, but we do have little nuances to our bikes that we don't follow every single trend because like, like I said, we're building bikes that we want to ride. And fortunately when we build cool stuff, it's bikes that other people also want to ride. And, um, you know, we're small enough to be flexible. We, we can fill those niches. We do a lot of custom manufacturing. Um, but you know, a lot of people like what our, our quote standard, geometry bikes and um something really cool like when i first started riding for reeb they had a hardtail called the diculus um the diculus 2 and i got one and i really enjoyed riding it but i felt like there was a few changes that i would like to make for a personal bike you know and i never had the opportunity prior to that to to ever have a completely custom bike um so adam and i got together and we we created the ridiculous which is a little bit more aggressive ridiculous and i just thought it would be a one-off and i put it on my instagram and people started expressing interest and just like that it became a a production model and i think it's our best-selling steel hardtail and then the changes that adam has done with the squeeb over the past several years i mean it's literally a work of art um after 25 years of riding professionally I never thought I'd get so excited about putting together a new bike. Like when I put together a new Reeb, I painstakingly choose every component and color and, you know, every little thing. Whereas prior to that, you know, I'd put together a bike and it was just like, you know, a pair of shoes. It's something you're going to use for six months and you're getting a new one. Um, every Reeb, I feel like it really is truly a work of art. So it's, it's pretty awesome. 
And now our latest bike, the SST, is something that Adam has been working on for a while with Steve Ziegler, who also is part of the brand now. And um, the response to that bike has been incredible and it rides great. And I guess we could let Adam talk about that one a little bit. Early on when Jeff came on, he he had previously been, like you said, riding with Giant and he never really had too much say in the bike that he was riding. And, and he was riding, uh, he was doing a lot of trials on, I, I believe it was like the STP, the street trailer park. And the bike hadn't really been updated in a long time. So he originally reached out to us since we could offer some custom geometry and he wanted to try out a bike that was a little more dedicated uh, to trials, actual trials geometry. And, you know, the discussion started with, hey, we make a lot of other bikes that have, um, you know, pretty great geometry. And also you would be the perfect one to have say in some uh, bike design. You've been riding bikes since before I've been alive. So you obviously have a little bit more experience than I do. You had to get that one there. <laughs> so, you know, first we started out with that, uh, that ridiculous frame and then the ridiculous and, and Jeff helped um, uh, go forward with the squeeb. And then uh, we really wanted a, a bike that, that really, um, brought the whole family of bikes together. So we had the Diculous and the Ridiculous, which were um, kind of aggressive, hardtail, single-speed capable bikes. Now the Ridiculous could actually have a drivetrain. And um, and then the Squeeb was a, a 150 millimeter travel trail bike, but there's a big gap in there. And living in the front range, um, a 150 millimeter travel trail bike is awesome, but not everybody needs that large of a, a 29er. So we really wanted something to to fill the gap in between our hardtails and our aluminum full suspension. So we started to come up with a 120 millimeter travel trail bike. We made the Squeeb modular, so you could change the travel to 130 millimeter, but it was still a bike that was, that was built um, a little bit heavier than a you know lightweight 120 bike or 130 bike uh, because we wanted to be able to throw everything we could at it in both uh, travel configurations. So number one on the list for the new short travel bike was to get the weight down a little bit. One thing with uh, getting the weight down was we we definitely had to adopt some new technology to be able to do that because with the lineage of our bikes, we we wanted this bike to look like a hardtail, feel like a hardtail, but still have suspension in the rear. So we wanted to go with steel. Um, and in my opinion, there's not many people that have done steel well in the past. And it's the same reason why Reeb didn't use steel in the beginning. Machined components out of steel are inherently heavier and inherently weaker because you're trying to cut weight out of it, but you can't physically make it strong enough and light enough at the same time. So in the past couple of years, we've been paying attention to 3D printing and adaptive technology. And we decided that we wanted to pursue that on a new frame and being able to create all of the uh, frame components 
in the design that we wanted, the aesthetic that we wanted, and also to pass FEA to be able to hold up to the abuse was was super important and really only achievable with additive manufacturing. Um, all of the parts are hollow and typically with steel, you cannot create a hollow part in the geometry that we want. So by utilizing all the 3D printing, we were able to create a part that was strong, looked awesome and was lightweight. So um, we've been on the bike for a couple months now and I have been trying to beat the piss out of it. And so has Jeff and um, it is incredible. I've been racing one of the local kind of like enduro series the past couple of weeks on it. And I would say it, it hits just as hard as a enduro bike. It just has a little bit less travel. Yeah. So that's got a bunch of really cool stuff in it. And I guess the material question was one of the things I was going to ask off the bat on that bike, because you've got obviously some history working with steel. You've made a bunch of steel hardtails in the past, but then like you mentioned, the Squeeb has been an aluminum full suspension bike and going to steel for your lighter weight bike would not necessarily be the most intuitive or obvious choice, I suppose. And so how much of that SST frame is 3d printed kind of what parts are getting that treatment and uh yeah how did you arrive at that whole sort of design process and making a bunch of 3d printed parts for the bike because that's a somewhat unusual strategy obviously something we're starting to see more of in the bike world but it's a relatively nascent technology at least as applied to bike frames and not necessarily the first thing that you'd think of for a small Colorado company doing all their manufacturing domestically and the rest to be the ones diving headfirst into. Yeah. When Adam first mentioned it to me, I thought it was a little bit of witchcraft myself. Uh, come to find out several months later, you know, it's, it's very commonly used. I actually have a really good friend right now who does a lot of government work. I mean, 3D printing is has been around for a long time. It wasn't on my radar. So I was uh, scratched my head a tiny bit. Um, to the average, you know, non-super technical bike nerd, it's it's mainly like the the big pivots on the bike, the uh, the rear dropout, the top of the seat stay clevis, the the main pivot of the bike, any place where there'd be like a lot of mass. Um, those are the parts that we three D print. And Adam showed me a comparison recently of uh, a machine steel part versus a three D printed part, and the machine part was 300 grams and the 3d printed part was 100 grams and you know comparable strength it's just not all that solid metal you know a tubular part is typically stronger anyway so it's just when you're doing small volume or just inherent in the use of steel you know it's hard to get hollow, hollow parts unless you're doing some kind of like hollow forging or something we're definitely not doing that much volume so 3d printing really allows us to create the quantities that we have with a part that's nice and strong and keep the weight pretty low. And uh, we've seen on the consumer level, people are really, really excited about the steel bike. Um, it's, it's always had that timeless classic feel in the bike industry. People always love it, but the industry kind of got away from it because 3d printing did not exist when suspension bikes first started. So it was aluminum and then carbon and you know, steel got left behind. 
And I think that it's, it's a great material. It has, you know, with a 120 millimeter frame, you still get some of the resilience in the front triangle and the classic lines and look of it. And now you're able to create a bike that's, you know, a pretty reasonable weight bike. Yeah. Do you guys happen to have a weight handy or just a ballpark one for an SST frame kind of to give us an idea of what those are coming in at? Yeah. So the, uh, we are still in a, a bit of a pre-production mode on the SSTs that we're building as demo bikes right now. But uh, between our size run, they're within seven pounds. Um, so the the extra small is right over seven and the XL is almost right at eight. Um, and for comparison, our steel ridiculous frame that is that is built to take abuse and and, you know, a little bit um overbuilt than your typical steel hardtail that that frame is just over six pounds so only gaining about a pound to a pound and a half is is really awesome and and it yeah again creates that lineage across all of our bikes to where you could hop on a ridiculous or you could hop on a sst and have a very similar feel across both bikes yeah i mean for steel full suspension frame that's very respectable so pretty cool to have pulled that off and also complete weight uh complete bike weight uh it really depends on how you build the bike uh we've put together builds theoretically that could bring them bring the bike all the way down to 28 pounds uh that would be with a sid fork uh sid air shock setting up 115 travel um you know light lighter weight tires and wheels uh, typically the team at Reeb builds it up a little bit sim more similar to our squeebs. We also have been sharing a lot of parts with our bigger trail bikes. So the, the bike that I've been racing at the local enduro series is, uh, 34 and a half pounds for an extra large. So when you add uh cush core and thicker tires, you can tack on two to three pounds pretty quickly. Sure. That stuff all adds up, but that's definitely indicative of Adam. So I live on the East coast, much slower pace riding, you know, don't usually typically use front and rear cush core like Adam. Um, we had the same demo frame for a little bit, so I built it up and it was 33 and a half. So, um, so it just depends on the, t the type of riding that you're doing. You can, it's a very, very reasonable weight bike. It's, and it's very versatile. Yeah, just kind of normal mountain bike weight. That's super reasonable. Exactly. I'd be curious to hear more, too, about kind of how you guys think about the just bike geometry in general and sort of some of the design philosophy that's going on there. Because as you mentioned, you've got, you've had quite a bit of freedom to kind of do some things your own way and build stuff that just suits what you're after. And Adam, we'll get into your bruiser in a little bit here but for the more production line stuff how do you guys approach figuring out what you want to target and where have you ended up on some of the stuff like the sst and the ridiculous what i think is awesome about all of this is uh, this is a highly contested subject between jeff and i um we are uh, we come from very different riding backgrounds not based on skill level but based on time and uh i think what I have done to really uh, push the geometry at Reeb is to build personal bikes for myself um, that are kind of far out there. And uh, 
tying that back to the reality that we sell bikes to consumers, um, we do a little bit of you know, market analysis and, and checking out trends, but we also don't want to ever focus on that because we have the ability to test any geometry we want within a week or like even a day. If, if I wanted to start from scratch on a new frame design, I could have it done and riding by the end of the day or even the next day where typical bike manufacturers don't necessarily have that capability they're throwing numbers on, on the wall and in three months to a year, they're actually getting that bike and it might not be good, but their marketing department might be better, you know? So we've done a lot of trial and error testing back and forth and, and um, having a very good community here in Colorado that offers a lot of feedback for our bikes and then like hiring Jeff and, and bringing him onto the team bringing it out to the East Coast and, and riding uh, very different trails, trails that aren't all gravity oriented. So um, making sure that, uh, you know, seat tube angles are a big thing. Seat tube angles affect, are affected very differently between full suspension bikes and hardtails with the amount of sag that you're running. And, and we made our first, uh, I believe it was on the Diculus 2, we made the seat seat tube angle pretty steep because of that on top of the pedals, like upright geometry that you would want for, for pedaling up steep climbs. And uh, Jeff got the bike and he thought it actually didn't work very well at all. And he was able to put a lot of time on it and uh, give some very good feedback of all hardtails don't need steep seat tube angles because you do a lot of seated climbing rather than standing a lot on a full suspension bike. So Jeff, take over that. Yeah, it's, it's awesome working with Adam because we do have some different perspectives and it allows us to use one another as a sounding board. And we spend a lot of time and effort trying to get those numbers correct because like Adam said, you know, a lot of the bigger companies they could they could trick riders into thinking something's good just because their brand happens to be popular and there's thousands of them on the market. And as a smaller brand like Reeb, we kind of have to to get it right. You know, unfortunately, a lot of the times that we do. Um, so something else that's cool, we with the ridiculous the first year that we came out with it, um, we only had three sizes. The philosophy was there's so much standover height on this bike because we wanted it to be basically a trail rideable trail dirt jumper, whatever you could take it to the pump track. You could mess around on trials and you go for a 20 mile cross country ride. We figured, um, with so much standover height, it was kind of redundant to have too many sizes. And after riding that bike for the first year, I kind of always felt like I was a little bit in between, like I took that bike and went to the Pacific Northwest and I loved it. It was great. But when I came back to the East Coast, I kind of always felt like it was a little bit too long and we were trying to stay within, you know, different parameters of, you know, what the market has, but still holding true to our values a little bit, but you still have to kind of keep your numbers sort of close so that's not looking too wacky. And you know, being the smaller brand that we are and having the flexibility moving into year two with that bike, we added four sizes. So now the rider 
has the ability to size up or size down depending. And right now living on the East coast, I ride a size large, which, you know, Adam would vehemently disagree is way too short for me, but I love it on the East coast. If I was to go to Pacific Northwest, I'd probably be hoping I had that extra large again. It just depends on, on how you're riding the bike. And that's one of the cool things about the SST, um, you know, with the ele- evolution of dropper posts and whatever, you're not constrained to those, you know, typical dimensions anymore. So you could size up or size down on an SST. There's so much stand over height. You could fit just about anyone. So if you want to ride, you know, a little bit more bomber and feel like that more immersed inside the bike feel, you could ride a larger frame. If you want to have something a little bit smaller, more maneuverable and tech, you can size down. Um, but yeah, you could have some pretty interesting debates on geometry for sure. The addition of dropper posts has really made a, a huge change in, in looking at bike geometry. The, the problem with being six foot four or like six foot five, like Jeff and I are, um, is, is you always get stuck with the goofy looking bike. Um, you always have a top tube that's super high. You always have a seat tube that's super long. And one of my focuses has been to make the entire size run of bikes look great instead of just the medium that is typically like, you know, the, the popular photographed bike. Um, so when we went to the SST, the, the major design aesthetic with that bike is to make it very similar to a hardware or a hardtail look where the top tube is running directly into the seat stays. So with the, with the adoption of 210 millimeter, 240 millimeter dropper posts now, we are able to keep the standover on, I guess we have uh, extra small, small, medium, large, and extra large sizes on that bike. All of the standovers are low enough for a five foot one rider, really. So even the extra large uh, can fit somebody that's just over five foot. Um, you know, there's about a mile of dropper post hanging above that top tube now, but, you know, in my opinion, getting that, that size range to really be only a a question of top tube length and reach is awesome. So if you had somebody that wanted to ride a really long bike or a really short bike, they could, and they could still stand over it. Yeah, for sure. Having that flexibility that you're getting with more modern geometry and, super monster long dropper posts is awesome and yeah i think you absolutely nailed it there that it's becoming easier and easier for people to size up or down depending on just how they want the bike to ride and what they wanted it to feel like rather than being constrained by what they can physically fit onto and it's funny it's something we see all the time too is we publish a first look of a new bike or something and you'll get people in the comments being like oh it's crazy i I can't ride a 470 millimeter reach. I always ride mediums, but that's just too long. I'm like, well, okay, you know, you don't have to ride a medium. Even if that's been the nominal size you've been on before, you've got options now. You know, you can, if that 470 sounds too long, hop on a small, you know? And I think there's still maybe a little bit of consumer education to be worked on there, but certainly the designs are getting way more flexible and that's been super cool. And so I guess sort of on that note of, you mentioned some little bit more out there bikes that you have been prototyping, Adam. Tell us about the Bruiser. Uh, the Bruiser was a bit of a um, 
kind of crazy experimental idea between um, a friend of mine that originally helped with some of the Squeeb um, updates to the suspension, um, but also uh, a little bit of work with Gates and Pinion. Uh, one of my good friends uh, is part of the technical, I believe technical department of Pinion. And we went to college together back in Iowa. So we've always been, uh, we've always ridden bikes together and we've always built clunkers and, you know, fun, like we've had tall bikes and just all the wacky bike builds. And, and now with um, his involvement with Pinion, we started to talk about doing a full suspension capable uh, Pinion bike because nobody else is building one in the US. And he helped out a lot with CAD models and and uh, providing a gearbox and any information that I needed uh, to be able to build this kind of crazy bike. But I did not know how to make a marketable pinion, like 150 millimeter travel trail bike because the market is so different with what they want out of a bike that I didn't want to just build something normal. I wanted to build something out of my head because I didn't think this was going to be a bike that we could sell just yet. So um, I had been racing enduro. I've been traveling to BC a good amount. Uh, I've been pushing bikes pretty hard and I've always wanted a downhill bike, but I owned one for almost two weeks and tried to take it out on a ride and realize you can't pedal them and they are extremely short. I had a extra large downhill bike that my knees hit the handlebars anytime I rode it. So it just didn't make any sense to me. So um, I had experimented with a couple squeebs that I raced in the past that were a 62 and a half degree head angle. And I was running 180 millimeter forks on them and they were awesome. And I would pedal them all day long at any enduro race or even trans BC. We're riding for six days and 30 miles a day. And I decided that it wasn't, I didn't need to fit within this geometry box that the bike industry wants everybody to fit in. So I believe most of my design on that bike started during the pandemic and uh, you know, in a perfect world, uh, Reeb would have looked at the pandemic and said, we're going to be millionaires if we order all of the Shimano drivetrains and all of the SRAM parts that we can. Uh, but that wasn't the case. We closed. We uh, laid everybody off and we fully closed down for a bit because it was a very unknown time. So I spent a lot of time sitting in my pajamas at home on my computer designing this bike and it has a lot of very difficult um, aspects to it with running a belt drive and having clearance on the chainstay for a belt and a belt tensioner and um, figuring out the suspension kinematics to work with the gearbox and because everything's everything has to move and and have clearance so um, i spent almost a full year developing the bruiser. And I pretty much just made it the same geometry as my favorite 
slack squeed. So it's 62 and a half degree head angle, 76 degree seat angle. So trail bike, you know, seat angle with a full dropper post. Um, the reach is 515 millimeters, which isn't anything wacky. That's, it's not that long considering like what Nikolai does. And I stretched the chainstays 10 millimeters to 445. Uh, that's mainly for gearbox clearance. Uh, the, the gearbox does come into the tire a little bit, so you got to lengthen the rear end. Uh, but the big part of that bike was uh, when the Zeb came out, uh, there was actually a single crown fork that was um, 190 millimeter travel, which I just realized was perfect for that bike. So um, overall, it is a giant bike. It's um, 190 millimeter front travel, 180 millimeter rear travel. The wheelbase is 1,357 millimeters. So uh, it's it's pretty much longer than any downhill bike that's out there, longer than any trail bike. Uh, and that's my everyday trail bike. <laughs> I ride it everywhere. It's 46 pounds and it's a blast. It's such a good time. I love it. And is how's that working out? I mean, the geometry honestly doesn't sound crazy. Like it's it's a big long slack bike, but there are plenty of things out there now that are actually not too far off that. You mentioned Nikolai, the Geometron stuff, the Transition Spire's up there, etc. There you know there are some options in that range. But yeah, tell us about how it's going for you. I've put a ton of time on it. Like I said, it for the past year. I guess almost a year and a half now. It's been my my main and only trail bike. Uh, I I do big 30, 40 mile rides on it. Um, I took it down to Columbia and did a week in Columbia on it. Uh, I've taken it up to the top of 14ers, uh, pretty much everything. And uh, it is rad. It is, um, it is the bruiser. I've punctured two gearboxes of actually putting rocks through the gearbox, um, which is kind of cool. It's a, that's a, just a typical warranty item for pinion, um, which is pretty awesome. But I've since then made a skid plate for the gearbox. I have a bash guard for the belt. That's um, a part that I developed in my own shop here. And uh, it is, it's like the trophy truck of bikes. Um, I've haven't really damaged anything on the frame other than putting dents in it. Um, I typically keep a pretty burly tire set up on it. So I've learned that, um, I've learned over 10 years of being hard on wheels that, uh, I found, I finally found a rim that has never failed on me. And that's the, um, industry nine grade rim. Um, what I've learned with that rim though, is that I put uh, plastic plugs in the spoke holes underneath the rim tape. So there's really no way to get a flat because if you do G out really hard um, with a normal wheel, you'll typically poke your um, rim tape with a spoke. So this way, the plug offers a barrier from the spoke to the rim tape. And then uh, Kushcore and the Vittoria Maza Enduro casing tires are like bomb proof. So, um, you know, there's times where you still rip a tire, but it's, it's a bike that you don't even need to slow down on the trail, even if you have a front and rear flat. 
um, you just keep riding bikes like normal and it holds up to everything. It's, it's incredible. That's great. The image of you just still blasting away with it, double flat and not caring about a thing in the world is fantastic. Do you think this is something that we might actually see as turning into maybe not a full production model, but something that you can actually buy from Reeb in the future? Or is this pretty much just a personal project at this point? No, uh, 100%. We actually, um, we're actually building one for another customer now. Um, it is, it is a, a customer that I've talked and, and talked over the bruiser with enough that he is building it as a, a free ride bike in Moab. And, uh, He's kind of the perfect customer for a bike like this. Um, we are still waiting for a couple more things that are in the pipeline to to make this a you know a full consumer bike, but um, it will continue to be developed. And um, yeah, my plan is to do to to do more with it in the future. Um, who knows exactly what it'll be? Uh, it does seem like the bike industry is adopting much longer travel bikes, like. A lot of people are running 180 and 190 forks on their trail bikes now and 170 to 180 millimeter meter rear travel. So, you know, it could be something that is um, popular in the industry for the future. So, uh, yeah, I think it will always be a very limited production, but um, it is something that we are not going to just axe. It will be pursued more. Awesome. Well, very much looking forward to seeing what comes out of that and where you go with it in the future. And this has been a super fun chat. Really appreciate you both taking the time to, to do it here. But before we let you go, we do like to wrap up by asking our guests if they have a big idea to share. So, Jeff, why don't you go first if you've got anything for us? Ooh, I think that Adam just shared a pretty big idea with the consumer version of the Bruiser. Um other than that, I mean, I think our big idea right now is still continuing to refine the SST and, and get them into consumers' hands. We've been, like Adam said, we've we've all been riding them. We've all been, been digging them. Uh, there's still a little bit of fine touches to put on it, but that's pretty much our, our big idea. Fair enough. Adam, anything else to add? Well, he's got big ideas. Um, I would say... I would say a lot of them have been um, towards the SST lately, uh, but also, uh, you know, working on all these other projects across across the board with Reeb. You know, we're always working on new projects and and finding that um, all the technology out there is is pretty amazing to use in the bike industry. A lot of companies like to keep making bikes the same old way, but we always like to adopt uh, new technology like the 3D printing. So um, trying to really push that across all of our bikes and and keep making bikes awesome and, and not just be stagnant with frame building. Cheers to that. Well, thank you both for the time. It's been a lot of fun and appreciate you coming on. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. All right, that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And if you're enjoying these conversations, then please take a quick minute to leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts. I also want to say thanks to Jeff and Adam for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we'll talk to you again very soon. Bye, everybody.